be able to have time for questions and things like that at the end because I don't do great just talking to myself. <laughs> I like to talk to others. <laughs> um, and I also want to address any specific things that you guys have. Um, so my name is Kristen Sims, and I realize now that I did not put my name or contact information on the first screen, but I think I put it at the end. Anyway, I hope so. Um, the title of this presentation is I Like to Move It, which is Practical and Fun Ways to Include Cane Travel Skills in Everyday Life, Even If You're Stuck at Home, which is a very long title, and I think they changed it for the agenda. <laughs> so, um, but basically, um, uh, we've had to be really creative with providing O&M instruction for kids at home. And um, I thought it might be nice to put together some of the different um, things we've been doing to try and um, encourage movement at home. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but um, I hope that you get something out of it. Um, okay, so, uh, to encourage cane use. So those kind of the way I broke things down is um, do, you know, to encourage cane use, to encourage orientation skills, spatial skills, those kinds of things. Those are all important skills with orientation and mobility. So for um, encouraging cane use, one of the simple ways to do that um, is to you to have an obstacle course. You can make an obstacle course out of anything. Um, you can move some chairs around. Um, you can put big plastic totes on the ground. Um, different things like that will help to provide um, a little maze or a little more fun um, when moving around. Uh, also, and this one I have to I have to go ahead and say this is my intern that came up with this. Although we've all played it before, I believe if you're at least a person of a certain age, the floor is lava. So um, when the floor is lava, you can't touch the ground, right? So you have to use your cane and you have to look for the next thing to step on. So you can throw around pillows on the floor, cardboard, little small stools that you can step on. Um, those different things. I know whenever I was a kid, we liked to jump. We liked to try and get from the um, couch to a chair or something. Um, but those are good things to find um, and, and encourage your children um, to use a cane to find that next thing because your cane is longer than your arm. And what better way to figure out that skill out than to have to jump across something and you can find it with your cane before you're can touch it. Um, this one I called the corner cane technique. Um, so whenever you're learning to use a cane, um, you can stand in the corner with your back to the corner. So the corner is right behind you and you can tap your cane from side to side. And what you're wanting to do is get your cane arc wide enough that you're hitting each wall. Um, because I'll tell you this parent, as a cane instructor, I can always help someone make their cane arc more narrow, but it's very difficult to get it wide enough that it covers their entire body. Typically, whenever they get kind of lazy with their cane, they're going to go smaller um, with the movement. They're not going to be real wide with the movement. Um, another fun cane game, I like to call it, is red light, green light. And so with this, you're practicing walking in step. So what I mean by in step is that whenever you are stepping with your left hand, 
your cane, left hand, <laughs> your left foot, sorry. When you are stepping with your left foot, your cane is swinging to the right. When you are stepping with your right foot, your cane is swinging to the left. So you're really clearing a path ahead of you as you walk. Um, so with red light, green light, you can go kind of slow. You can go, you know, red light, everybody stops, right? And then whenever you say green light, people will step forward and you want them to go, you know, with your kids, you would want them to go slow enough that they can keep that movement going from to be in step, like I said. Um, but you can also do more than that. You can talk about why do we go whenever it is a green light and who would have the green light and you can bring in parallel and perpendicular and the types of things that kids would be learning um, when they're doing street crossings. So that's a good way to introduce that vocabulary and a good way to introduce that skill. I keep losing my controls on my computer, so just bear with me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, okay, so this one, this one was a little boy uh, and I came up with this one and it was monster steps. And, and we could, you could do anything. You can do monsters, you can do animals. Um, uh, one day we were both bears um, and bears are big animals. So they need a big cane arc and you wanna swing your cane really wide. And then one day we were penguins. And so penguins are really small. So our cane tech, we kept pencil grip because they're really small and so their feet don't move very fast. And we went, um, we had a more of a narrow cane, you know, uh, arc. And we also tapped really big if we were a monster, um, like a big monster, a big animal. Um, and then we uh, tapped really lightly if we were a small animal. And that was one way I got um, that particular child. And he was younger, probably about four, I mean, about five or six years old. Um, that was one way I got him to uh, really think about how hard he was tapping the cane and how wide he was swinging the cane and was he swinging it like a bear and I could bring that back in later. So as we got more uh, where we were just doing a route or we were just going to his classroom or exploring around the environment, I could say, oh wait, you're holding that cane an awful lot like a penguin whenever I think we're in a bear environment or, you know, this is a big monster place, not a little monster place. So um, then uh, there is hide and seek. And I have two different ways to do hide and seek. So I have one that's like, um, I don't know, more for older kids and kids who are, you know, very mobile. Uh, that's the toy edition. So one person would place toys of different sizes and it's gonna be done with a group, um, especially if you have signed up for the cane walk and you have a um, teaching cane at home um, for parents, or if um, you have, you know, more than one cane at the house and you have multiple children, they can, um, everybody can put on learning shades and go into this particular room and find the toys on the ground. And the one who can find, oh, the rule is, I have to say, the rule is that your cane has to touch the toy, not your foot. So if your cane touches the toy, it makes a sound, right? Most of the time it will make a sound. And you might wanna be strategic about what kind of toys you use so that they will make a sound whenever they're touched with a cane. Um, but the smallest toy gets a prize and the person who finds the most toys gets a prize. Um, then there is the, um, 
then oh and i'm going to tell you with an nfb straight cane fiberglass cane um with a metal tip you're going to be able to find something very tiny if you really try um i have told people that before and they didn't believe me and then we put a penny on a carpeted floor and we found it um now it wasn't without patience of course but um you are able to find that because you can feel a lot through that cane um so for the bin edition i was thinking this would be for kids who are um not as mobile maybe or kids who are younger um so what you would do is you put um you would kind of glue stickers like big foam stickers or you could put glue some little bitty toys like and I always think of little toys as being the little toys you would get in the Happy Mill or something, little plastic toys. You can put it in a bin, bin can be big or it can be small, depends on your child and what they need. Um, and then you fill it up with rice, beans, or pasta. Now this is good for low vision kids who are typically wanting to use their vision. If you fill that up, well then you don't, it, it's, it's not going to, you don't even need to have, um, any kind of learning shades on them because they can't see what's under there and that's anybody nobody would be able to see what's under there um and then you use a spoon or some tongs um and i usually <laughs> i like chopsticks <laughs> like the kind that you get from the um takeout place the little uh, wooden ones anyway so they can they they feel around and it's a tiny little a tiny little cane and they'll fill around on the bottom and see what they can find. Um, so, and then you just see how many, you know, you'll, you would know how many you put on the bottom there, but they can find it and then they can see what kind of shapes they are. Are they um, stars? Did you put circles in there? Um, is it hard? Is it soft like foam? They can find out a lot of information just from the little tool that they're using. And that kind of builds a cause and effect effect relationship that you want with cane travel um another one and bear with me while i sing um well spoken word <laughs> um so the cane uh there's a whole bunch of cane songs and i believe perkins um has a list of cane songs that you can use but um one that i use all the time is to the tune of row 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 your boat so here i go sorry Swing, swing, swing your cane quickly down the hall, tapping and tapping and tapping and tapping so you can hear the walls. So um, again, we use, uh, I teach with an NFP straight fiberglass cane. Um, I've also used D canes, which are very similar. Uh, they're, they're hollow. Um, they have a metal tip. Um, they have some flexibility to them, but the importance of that cane and the importance of the the tapping of the gives the metal tip and the texture you're getting from that the, the tactile feedback you get from those canes when that makes the song make sense really. <laughs> um, but the echolocation is why they can hear the walls. Okay. All right, you guys stop me if you have any questions. Just, um, I don't know, raise your hand or unmute and say your name. I have no problem with that. It's very loose. Because I'm going to admit, I kind of feel like I'm talking to nobody. 
um, or to myself. All right, so to encourage listening skills. Now, the sound scavenger hunt, I do a lot with children anyway, um, just because it gets them thinking beyond their cane, beyond what they're touching, beyond what their feet are feeling. Um, it gets them listening out to the environmental noises. Um, so one way you can do that is to make a list of sounds that you hear um, on a walk, things that you would hear in your neighborhood. So um, in my neighborhood, there are uh, railroad tracks uh, near my house. So I might put a train sound, train horn. Um, I might put the sound of cars going over the train. I also have water, um, a, a, a river near my house. So there's lots of birds and there's also bugs and things like that. So I might put some of those things in there. Um, we also perpetually have fall leaves. I don't know why, <laughs> um, but we have leaves that would be crunchy or crinkly. Um, and so those things would go on the list and then we would go on our walk and we would see if we can find all of the things on the list. Now, if you are doing this with a lot of people, um, or if you have a family network that you can, you know, get in touch with, you can create a master list of um, sounds, and then everybody can go out and try to find them and maybe make like a little email chain or a texting thing for the kids to be um, working with each other, especially if you have older children that, you know, that could be going out and doing some of this in the neighborhood independently, um, or at least finding things in their backyard and stuff like that. Um, the next one, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book Going on a Bear Hunt. I love that book. <laughs> um, and we use it a lot, uh, especially use it a lot to teach problem solving because you can't go over it, can't go under it can't go around it, gotta go through it, is part of the, um, the mantra that they have in there. They also talk about, um, now sometimes whenever we're walking on cane travel, we do need to go around it or we do need to go over it, but um, uh, the, you can find um, videos on uh, YouTube that have this have it in a sing-song version there's also the audiobook is also on uh youtube where they're reading out the book um anyway but i don't say i've got my binoculars on there i say i've got my cane sometimes i'll say i've got my learning shades which are the um, occlusion shades that go on kids and then we talk about the things that this um the different sounds that things make so Again, kind of like the sound scavenger hunt, we think about where we would go on our bear hunt. So we're going out searching for a bear, okay? And so we might come, if you're going out searching for a bear, you're gonna be probably walking through the woods. And what kind of sounds would we hear in the woods? And then you can, you can say, oh, and then we're gonna come across a, a field and in the field is a, is a stream what would it sound like for that and then you keep going and keep building on those um environmental cues and and um and come up with a little it's just a little rhyme you can do that at home and just kind of talk it out um or you can go out in your backyard and pretend like you know you're going on a bear hunt or you can go for a walk in your neighborhood um, or a park and think about the different sounds that you hear out there. You can look up sounds on um, Google or YouTube or whatever and listen to the way they sound 
and talk about that and use it as an, you know, an experience for you as a family. Um, there's also echolocation practice. So echolocation is the sounds bouncing off of solid objects. Um, so if you have a cane with a metal tip, and you can tap it in different places and pick up the different sounds that the cane makes. Um, and when I say tap, you just tap it on the ground, um, not on the object. <laughs> so you just tap it on the ground. Um, you can also tap it on objects and see what sounds they make, but the echolocation would be telling you the sound bouncing off of the object. Um, for instance, whenever you're walking in a, or when you're in a room that is big, you're going to have a lot more echoes. The echoes are going to seem a little louder, but they're also going to be very spread out and sound like they're coming from all around you. Um, if you're in a room that is very small, your echoes are going to be like, they sound like they're coming right here by your face, right here by your head. Um, and um, even whenever you have a, um, like a low, um, table or a desk or chairs I'm like you can hear the echo bouncing from underneath it cars are really good because you can hear um, when you walk behind a car you can hear the echo coming from underneath it so um, but you can you know have your uh, kids practice tapping their cane in different places and see what sounds it made does the sound come from up high does it come from down low um, is it very loud? Is it quiet? And compare them so that they can begin to make a soundscape of the world. All right, to encourage listening and spatial skills. Um, so I spy, everybody knows that game, right? I spy with my little eye. Instead, I play I hear with my little ear, and I am totally ripping this off of a parent <laughs> that I worked with. Um, they used to do this while they were waiting for, you know, anything to happen with their child. And so, and it was the whole family would do that. They took turns talking about the different things they could hear. So um, it could be a description. So sometimes they would say, ooh, I hear with my little ear something really high pitched. And then Everybody would close their eyes and they would listen. And it's not necessary that you close your eyes to listen, but I can honestly tell you that it's easier <laughs> to hear something sometimes whenever you close your eyes. Um, so then they would, uh, people would try and guess, is it, is it the sound over here on my right? Or is it this sound right here? Or is it the sound of the car running outside and it needs to have, be taken to the shop or whatever? So, um, that that was uh that's one way or they could say i hear with my little ear something that flies and that could be that they heard a bird or they heard an airplane or they heard a fly or a bee buzzing so um you know that that that's different things or it's something that moves people um like i put on here um so that could be a car or it can be an escalator. <laughs> so you can be creative with your description, but also it gives people a chance to like really explore the environment with what they can hear. Um, so the next thing I have on here is a penguin dance. And I know this is a lot, I'm gonna try and get this to Carlton um, 
so that she can get it out to people or we can put it on some kind of thing, this, this uh, PowerPoint. Um, the uh, penguin dance. Uh, so this is a video on YouTube from by Jack Hartman. And Jack Hartman uh, has a really cute YouTube channel. My children, uh, when they were in kindergarten, well, one of them's still in kindergarten. Um, uh, when my daughter was in kindergarten, he's been around for a while, and now my son, they love Jack Hartman, and he has some really great videos as far as like positional words, following directions, um, some great like movement, you know, movement songs, but he does the penguin dance, and the penguin dance goes, have you ever seen a penguin come to tea? When you look at me, a penguin you will see. This is great for winter. And then you say penguins attention, penguins begin. And then the first time you go through it, you say right flipper and the kids have to tap, have to flap the right flipper, okay? So then you go through it all again and you go right flipper, then left flipper. So they have to think about their right and they have to think about their left. You go back through it again, you add the right leg, you go back through it again, you add the left leg. Every time that you add something, you still have to go through each individual thing and you don't stop moving them okay so once you you do your right flipper then your left flipper and they're still moving they they will sync up and then your right leg and then your left leg and then you can turn around in a circle you nod your head and you quack those are the different things and um that you add but every time you do that it's like a call and repeat song um, you're adding something else and it's really great for kids because they can begin to think about their where their body is in space and how it moves and each individual limb working separately. Um, and so, and it's good for, for developing right and left. And there's some right side and left side songs, but that's a really fun little song to play. Um, and again, a lot of songs on YouTube are fun. Um, they're very easy to, um, adapt because you just say different words overall and nobody you know little kids don't care how bad you sing <laughs> i've noticed <laughs> they may tell you that you sing bad but they don't really care um so and if they're your children then they really they have no room to talk because they're going to sound just like you one day right <laughs> um cardinal directions so um to encourage orientation skills cardinal directions is like number one some people don't think it's really important. I know a lot of people don't think it's really important because <laughs> um, whenever I tell my husband that something is north of something else, he looks at me like I'm insane. Um, but it is really important because, um, especially with blind kids, because whenever they get to be a little older and they start asking for directions, everybody's left, left and right are subjective, right? So it helps them to put things in order and lets you know how things are related to one another. Okay. So one thing we did at our virtual bell Academy was play the song, never eat soggy waffles to talk about cardinal directions. And it's a cute little song. I'm not going to subject everybody to that song right, <laughs> right now, but it is, um, it's a, it's a song. It's a silly, silly song. The kids love it. Um, and then um, another thing you can do is make a map 
of your room. Um, that's another thing that we did as part of Bell and and but it is something you can do at home and that's easy to do. You just take a piece of paper and you take some um, different textured things. I just used index cards and I used post-it notes and I used stickers and things like that to make things feel different. But then we talked about where everything was in relation to the other thing. And it gets kids to think about things not just based on where they are, but where they are in relation to other things. Um, for instance, um, I am sitting facing my computer right now so that you guys can see me, those of you who want to look at me and or can look at me, whatever. Um, and so, and I'm reading, you know, things that are in front of me, but my, where my computer is, is in front of me. I am behind my computer in a way, in a manner of speaking, but if I looked at it from the computer's perspective, then I'm in front of the computer. So um, if I thought about it in a more cardinal direction way, my computer is currently south of me and I am north of it. So um, that kind of puts things better as far as where your orientation is. Um, and, uh, and that helps with like knowing like being able to get around and stuff too, knowing your cardinal directions and not having to think about them too hard because they're just ingrained in you. Um, the compass, there is a compass on iOS devices like your iPhone and it will work with voiceover. So that's one way you can, you can actually make a little game um, or have your kids make a little game that says that they walk around the house and they find something and they take notes that it's so many steps in this direction or you're gonna walk so far north and then you're gonna turn east and then you're going to, um, uh, and then you're going to step south for just two steps and then you're gonna turn back east and then uh, you will turn around all the way west and walk forward a little bit and, and, and see where you end up and, and kind of make themselves have a little maze um, while using the compass and see where they end up at. Um, and then you can get into intermediary um, places like, you know, northwest, southeast, that kind of stuff. All uh, right, uh, sun cues. One thing, and we were just talking about this at the O&M meeting, <laughs> is to, um, if, you can't, if you can't get out of your house very much, um, to experience sun cues while walking around and how the sun kind of moves as your body changes position, then you can step outside several times a day and see how the sun moves without you changing your body's position. So the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Um, and you can talk about those skills by experiencing them instead of just saying it. Um, it means so much more for kids to experience this stuff and figure it out for themselves. And that will really connect it to their brain. Um, that is how you, um, you, co you grow dendrites. That's um, a uh, famous educator person says you don't grow dendrites from just being told something, you grow it by doing things. So um, if you go um, 
outside in the morning and you talk about where the sun is. Now, if you went outside in my backyard in the morning, you would not feel the sun. <laughs> it would be shady. Um, but then if you came in the afternoon, then it would be sunny. And so um, based on that, you could figure out which way my house faces. And, um, and, and, and kids can do that too after they've experienced it enough. And it might take a minute. You don't have to rush any kind of decision there. Um, but that will help them to really have that ingrained where the sun rises and where the sun sets and where your house is located and how it's, you know, where, which direction it's facing and that sort of thing. Um, and that'll build that cardinal direction knowledge. Another game to play at home is Battleship. Battleship's really easy to adapt. You can get that box and just a little bit of, I mean, I've used regular braille paper and glue and adapted and just regular Elmer's glue and adapted a battleship game because you just need letters and numbers. Um, I know that I've had some parents who used one of those little punchy ones. Uh, they kind of look like that you put the Dymo tape in and then you punch out the braille letters. It's very easy to adapt. Um, and so uh, it's based on a grid and you can play live battleship if you have tile floor, <laughs> you know, and sleep shades. And of course, people will be able to hear you. So um, I've done that virtually with people before, um, like just for fun, like just say, oh, uh, to walk, you know, well, you wouldn't be playing battleship then. You'd be walking forward so many tiles and walking over so many tiles and then in kind of like a big chessboard. Anyway, but Battleship is kind of based on that, like checkers or chess. And so um, you put your little ships on there. I think most people know how to play Battleship, but it's good for kids to, to think about placement um, and to be really methodical about moving across their grid. And it's also good for fine motor skills because they have to put those little pieces inside those little holes. And, um, so that's Battleship and, uh, and then also they have to use a light touch because they don't want to knock over their ships. Um, then there's Twister. The blindfold Twister game is almost ready to go. The, um, out of the box, it comes with, um, some little shades and, it, but the board is not, um, adapted. I have heard of some people who made the board adapted, but other people just wrote out all the combinations that were possible and put them in braille in a Ziploc bag. So like right hand, squiggly line. Um, they've got raised shapes on them. And uh, so they wrote out every single possible uh, combination and then they just drew them or you can just write out the um, color and put that in a bag and you can you know the the or the color and I say color it's the texture the texture and put that in a, in a ziploc bag and then you can put the body part that sounds awful that's it and put that in a bag <laughs> so you gotta put your body parts in a different bag and then you draw out one out of each bag and then you know where to put your right hand or whatever so that's Twister, and Twister is great for body awareness and um, orientation because trying to find the one that's the closest to you. Um, 
again, there's, there's tons of other ones. Um, I couldn't put everything on here, but I did want to run out of time. Um, but I did want to leave you guys with um, a couple of little thoughts because, you know, I, I can't not, I guess. Um, so I want you to think about this. Um, your eyes are not what makes decisions. Okay, so those of us who are sighted and who think that we're making this, that we're better at travel because our because we have the vision to do so, that's not how you're making decisions. You're not making decisions with your eyes. They don't do anything but see. The brain does the, the making of decisions and the brain is an equal opportunity employer. Um, it does not care where it gets information from. It just wants information and then will do with it what it needs to. So the cane for a child, for a blind child will add input for the brain and we'll give it more information so that they can then make better decisions. Um, the further they can think away from their body, the better that they do. Um, I always tell parents and I tell kids, you, your cane goes with you everywhere you wear shoes and even some places you don't. <laughs> so um, uh, a water park, you know, cause people are like, well, should I make my child use their cane in the house? Well, I mean, if you move your furniture around a lot, I mean, sure, I guess. If you have a really big house and you live in like the Taj Mahal, then please, yes, you might want a cane there. Um, but most of the time, people are not using a cane in their own environment where they have things set up the way that they, they do. Um, but it is important to, like if you're, I always say some places you don't because some of my kids have gone, what about a water park? Well, yeah, you don't wear shoes at a water park typically, but nobody's going to water park right now anyway. So that's not really, it's kind of a moot point, but um, you still would need to have your um, cane with you, like to get in a pool and things like that, because nothing is worse than walking into a pool before you intended to. Um, <laughs> so um, then, um, you any activities that you do should to encourage cane you should be fun and um they should encourage exploration and it should be independent remember there's no right you know there's no right way to do things everybody does things differently that's what makes the world a really wonderful and beautiful place is that we're all different um learning only happens through error and this is just true. You don't learn anything by doing it perfectly. So allow your child the benefit of learning through action. And when school resumes, um, as I am certain it will eventually, um, then encourage your school with that as well. One thing I would tell schools when I went to, to teach there and still do um, is that this is a place of learning. This is a place of education. Do not deny this child the opportunity to learn from mistakes, just like you're letting everyone else here do. Um, if they are not allowed to make mistakes and they're not allowed to fail a little bit, then they won't learn anything from it. They'll only learn to be dependent. They won't learn to be independent. Um, something I tell my kids all the time is practice does not make perfect because there is no perfect. Practice does make proficient though. <laughs> so you can get better at something by practicing, but you will never be perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. Um, Cause I do have a lot of kids who get hung up on doing things right. Um, 
And uh, I would say if you are a sighted person and you wanna use shades, that's great, you should do that. I want you to understand that um, you should do something comfortable the first time before you start getting out into the world. Um, do something that I like to have a conversation with people when I put them under learning shades the first time. Um, so that that way they can kind of get used to um, wearing shades. Um, also, uh, every parent teaches their child to move independently and you are no different. So I know that you can, right? I don't want people to be fearful that, um, oh, I like that practice does make permanent. Um, and uh, so you are um, like, I want parents to feel empowered to teach their children and don't think that you need any certain letters behind your name to do that. All you need is MOM or DAD or guardian or grandma or aunt or whatever. That's all you need to be the teacher for your child. Okay, with that, do you guys have any questions? I've answered everybody's everything. Um. Um, I have a question. Can yes. you hear me? Hi. Uh, Melissa? Yeah. yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, so, can you just explain, like, what are the different kinds of canes and what are the functions of each of them or just how do they work, like different types of canes, like what are the differences between canes in general? Well, there are different types of canes and there are different types of instructors. So, mm -hmm. I'll put it the simplest way. Um, okay. So I am a structured discovery um, in instructor. I teach, I have an NOMC, which is National Orientation and Mobility Certification. We, um, and, and we use a straight, white, rigid cane um, with a metal tip. Now, you can get that straight, white, rigid cane with a metal tip also in a folding model okay. and, also <laughs> and in a telescoping model. Um, there is a different type of certification, which is COMS, and the comms instructors typically use either a straight cane or um, a folding cane, and they have different kinds of tips. Um, so um, a lot of what we would call, com you know, traditional instructors are COMS, comms instructors. And so um, those canes will, sometimes will be colored, but sometimes will have a red, um, they're, they're defined to me by the golf grip and they have a red um, grip at the bottom. But our canes are entirely white. We also have that use different color canes. But the things, the difference in our cane is that it's got a metal tip and we primarily like, use the metal tip. I don't think there's okay. like, any other tip that is on that. <laughs> that's, um, a, that's the only difference, like it's just the metal tip. Well, in the, in the, the lightness and flexibility of the rigid cane, the, the long white rigid cane. Um, and uh, I will say this, and I'm not, cause I can't, I'm not gonna judge anybody's cane, um, different things. <laughs> yeah people, right? I teach with that cane because I have found that it is lighter. It is more um, flexible, so it forgives. Um, it's cheaper, 
<laughs> so when um, when they're growing like weeds, then you can change that cane out. It's free, actually. That's how cheap it is. Oh, it's free. Really? Okay. <laughs> Every six months, they'll send you a new one if you signed up for the free white cane program. Um, okay. And um, and and it gives a lot of good tactile feedback. Most of the most the most successful blind people I know that are excellent travelers and get around very independently, they all use and prefer the long, white, rigid cane. Um, there are some who will have a spare cane that is a telescoping version, um, but very few use a um, one with a, a cord in it, which would be a folding cane. And that's because it cuts back on the feedback. That cord absorbs um, feedback, oh, okay. feeling. Right. Um, but Right. Sorry. So this metal cane, does it fold or is it a telescope? Are they both, do they come in both ways? The, um, the, the cane, the NFB cane is, um, can, you know, you can get one that is folding. You can get one that is telescope. Um, but they are fiber. Okay. They're not metal. So is it better to like, what's the difference between the fiber, fiberglass and metal? Like the, the metal one is better or what? Oh, I'm talking about the metal. The metal is the tip that I was talking about. The very end of the cane is metal. Oh, right. Sorry. Like the cane <laughs> shaft itself, like the, the handle and everything, that is fiberglass. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are the other, the aluminum canes that are the ones that are um, like Ambutech and, and other cane manufacturers like that, they mm -hmm. are metal. They, they are heavier because they are made okay. of aluminum or graphite. I see. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much. That was You're real welcome. informative. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. We have a few more minutes if there's any other questions. I don't remember which time, what time this one's over. And I will try my very best to get, well, thank you, uh, Sherry. I appreciate that. I will try my very best to get out this information because I do realize it was a lot and I have a tendency to just keep going. Um, <laughs> and so like once I have like, oh, when well, that would be a good game and oh, that would be a good game. Um, so um, you're feel free to email me. Uh, my email is ksims at uh, L-A-T-E-C-H latech.edu. Um, I do work at the Professional Development and Research Institute on Blindness at Louisiana Tech, and you will hear lots of um, probably that said to people <laughs> said around. Um, uh, we do have an orientation mobility program where we do train people, so if you feel like this might be the kind of field you want to go into. We'd be happy to have you guys join us in Ruston. 
<laughs> so um, uh, any, anyway, please um, find me on the app or email me and connect with me if you have any questions. And I think that's time. Awesome. Sounds like you hit it out of the park, Kristen. <laughs> yeah. I guess I told them everything they needed to know. Just overwhelmed with information. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> hmm.